The following episode contains topics of domestic violence, self-harm ideation, and racial violence. Hey everyone, welcome back to Seattle. Seattle. <laughs> welcome back to Seattle. Hey everyone, welcome back to St. Mark's Cathedral Conversations about Race. My name is Michael and I'm here with Kara. Hey Kara. Hello. This is the second episode in our theme on representations. If you've been following along, you would have heard us talk about representation in music, specifically church music, in our last episode. Today, we are going to talk about representation in media and why it's important to have people of color in very visible places in media and what this means at St. Mark's, what the relevance is at St. Mark's. So when Kara and I were plotting out this episode, we were exchanging stories and perspectives, and we realized that both of us had a very surprisingly similar experience. In my case, it was something that I had personally experienced, but in Kara's case, it was not her who experienced it, but I'll let her take it from here. Oh, okay. Well, I was talking about how, uh, so my mom grew up in Kohala, Hawaii, which is in the northern tip of the Big Island, if you're familiar with it. Um, and at the time, it was still largely a sugarcane processing town. And so that's where her father worked. And it was a lot of Japanese and Okinawan immigrants who'd, um, usually, whose parents or who had come over um, from Japan to work in what was then a U.S. territory. Um, but despite being <laughs> in a like a 90% Japanese town, my mom would watch TV and come away wishing that she was blonde haired and blue eyed. And <laughs> when she told me that story, I, I was like, well, what, <laughs> you know, it's just everyone around you was, was, was Asian. They were all like, a lot of them uh, were Japanese. There were some, you know, there's Filipinos, there's some, how, how did she come away w wishing that she looked different, you know, and, I mean, and then Michael, you have to tell your story now because equally as baffling to me. <laughs> equally as, and also incredibly similar because I just wrote down that note, what you just said about your mom, everyone around her was Asian, which was 99.9% .9 true in my case. All my friends were Asian, usually South Asian immigrants, a few Filipinos as well. And the other 0.01% were British people who stayed in the country even after it became a sovereign uh, country. And of course, the Italian nuns who ran the school. So they were the only oh, non-Asian people there. Oh, yeah, I have stories. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wrong podcast. Sorry. Oh, dear. <laughs> but I, when I was growing up in Dubai in the 1980s, we got on our one television channel. It was only one TV channel back then. But we got a very strange mix of British TV and American TV. 
Uh, so we would get British comedies, for example, some of the classic ones that I'm sure some people might recognize the names of. But we'd also get American shows as well. Uh, soap operas, murder mysteries. Uh, yeah, it was it was such an eclectic mix. I don't think there was ever really any thought given to uh, programming blocks or um, you know themes like how you sometimes get on cable TV no, here. I mean, was it was probably still the same ish model is today where there was a certain set of programming that Dubai would have bought or the UAE would have bought for Dubai to be like okay here's the American shows you get <laughs> like I guess so um, well someone but not me <laughs> <laughs> but the, re the reason I bring this up is because when my friends and I would watch those TV shows wherever whether from Britain whether they were from the United States wherever we would obviously see nobody who looked like us the only characters we would see would be white characters played by white actors and they were always in the protagonist role um, one of the few characters of a non-white origin we saw was Apu from the Simpsons which you know, right. obviously yeah. tells you a lot who was voiced by a white guy yes or was or a generation they... before yeah. yes uh, and again <laughs> different podcasts entirely but mm -hmm. It, it astonished me that Kara's mom had such a similar experience because I remember once telling my parents that I wanted to get blue tinted contact lenses because all the heroes and all the handsome people I would see on TV had blue eyes. And so why would I want my boring brown eyes when all the, all the good guys who I would see on TV yeah. had blue eyes? And they talked me out of it, fortunately. <laughs> as parents do pretty well <laughs> but <laughs> i that memory just came up in the conversation that you and i had i think just as an example of how for so many people who are not raised here in the states we were just uh we were just brought up with this idea that uh whiteness for want of a better term was the normal way of living and then you on the fringes on the sides you had everybody else or you had all these other people of color who were either the antagonists in the story mm -hmm. or or just the supporting characters yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, like, who would never have their own stories told it was always their stories were in <clears throat> relation to the main character who was unfailingly mm -hmm. white yeah yep <laughs> Did you ever hear of a movie from the mid-80s called Short Circuit? Yes, but I have not seen it. I, uh, family and I saw it when I was a kid. I barely remember it, just you know, a few scenes here and there. But what the reason I'm mentioning this is because um, I think there was recently a plan to uh, do a remake of it. And one element of it has not aged well. And it's that there was, in the cast of this movie, Short Circuit, there was a an Indian character, because obviously it's a movie about robots, so you need Indians. Right. Um, but this Indian character was played by a white actor. And I, the reason I'm bringing this up is because even when, as I said, we would see um, uh, non-white characters, or to make it more relevant to uh, my family and myself, when we would see Asian, South Asian characters, sure, they were always in supporting roles. They were always, uh, you know, yeah, they were always in supporting roles. We would still be really happy when we saw them, no matter how stereotyped it was, no matter how tangential it was to the main story, because it was like, hey, look, one of our people has, they've made something for themselves. They're up so in the like, world. 
even if you knew that it was a white actor in brownface? That's a good question. I don't know if we knew watching that that it was uh, a white actor in brownface. Um, I mean, there, there were certainly many other times, especially in British shows uh, from the 80s, where there would be a supporting character who was, I mean, usually a British Indian. I don't think there were that many right. British Sri Lankans uh, there. Probably a few British Pakistanis. But either way, we would see somebody of Indian descent or Pakistani descent or South Asian descent in general. And it would be kind of a big thing that we could see that you know somebody had quote unquote made it. Now, obviously, they hadn't really made it. Uh, they were they were always given very traditional uh, quote unquote ethnic names. They always spoke with a very heavy accent. Um, mm-hmm. They were usually in some ways the comic relief uh, because they had these weird traditions, which they were still practicing in England or which is again because these shows were produced in england or Mm -hmm. um i mean some of those elements have carried over to modern american television this is a really long tangent i'm not sure if it's part of what we should be talking about oh it's absolutely part of what we should talk about yeah so seriously yeah it's interesting because like i mean that's interesting to hear about um like your family getting really excited because i i guess because i'm you know, I'm about 10 years younger. So when I was growing up here in Seattle in the 90s, um, usually if I saw an East Asian character, it was always sort of um, question mark, question mark, question mark. It was very rarely actually like this person is Chinese or this person's Korean or something like that. And so it would always be more of kind of there's the token Asian and then yes, they were often good at math and you're bad at driving or, you know, whatever. And, and so there was never the sense of, Oh yay. It was always like, Oh no. It was cause it was just like, it just, I don't know. But I mean, that's probably not a sentiment shared across all Asian East Asian Americans, but like, I just, I, never really liked it very much Mm. until like sass comedy like real actual sass comedy uh started coming into vogue like mid 2000s and then once like the comic relief as sort of the you can't really knock this person down because ooh they're short and asian you know like it became more bearable because at least they were becoming a character and it wasn't just like, here's some diversity. They are good at math and like have a red envelope or whatever. Huh. <laughs> and so that's just, that was, a, that was an interesting juxtaposition uh, for me was to hear that again, that your family was like, which like great. I mean, the, if that's what, if that's what did it for you, all the better. That's an awful way to say that, but like. No, I would say we had no other frame of reference. Obviously, I think if we knew then what we know now, we would have a very different reaction to it. Mm -hmm. But when all the entertainment in Dubai, anyway, I cannot speak for Sri Lanka, but when all the entertainment that we could consume would have uh, white actors in all the leading roles um, to see any kind of uh, representation even with a big asterisk there mm-hmm. 
it, it was it was kind of a big deal. I'm looking at the notes that we wrote for this episode and the quote that you said, which I wrote down is you and my mom grew up in communities of color on the other side of the world and you still wished you were white. Yeah. I, I can't get over that. I'm uh, to use a, a Gen Z term because it's really the only way I'm shook. I'm really <laughs> like, I'm, I'm absolutely dumbfounded that you could grow up in communities of color, like, like not even just like in a city mm. or in a state, but like entire countries and still having people wishing they looked completely different. I love doing this podcast because it, it is forcing me, well, Siri, it's forcing me as an American to think about different perspectives on what's come out of the United States and what has sort of stuck voluntarily or not. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's really, really, really interesting. So my question is then, when you saw these characters on TV in Dubai in the 80s, um, if you saw a brown, you know, Sri Lankan or Indian character, South, other South Asian character, were they named appropriately? Or was it just some sort of, like, I mean, you know, like for a lot of Chinese and Korean and Japanese stuff, it's often really terrible stuff. Like, I'm not even going to say it, but it, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's sort of stereotypical, very cringy, or was I, it I often would... just like, were their names like John? <laughs> like, were they given Anglo names? I think in some cases they might have been. And again, if these were characters who were based in the UK, or, you know, various parts of England at the time, they might have been given simple Anglo names. But if memory serves, in the few instances I can easily recall off the top of my head they were given very generic asian names south asian mm -hmm. names mm -hmm. i mean the equivalent of uh the equivalent of john i guess uh, right from an agricultural perspective because from the from the point of view of this being entertainment the viewer needed to recognize quickly that obviously this character is asian that he is not one of the main cast as it were and so we're not going to give him a very distinctive name we will just name him something that can easily be understood to mean he's um asian he's not one of the main cast and that's really all you need to know about him right well and how how terrible is that i mean really i mean that you don't even get you know names with a story and that's that's something that i know we've talked about a lot names in general but one thing that you and I share in common is that we have very Anglo sounding names and so when we say Anglo um, that doesn't necessarily mean you know only English because actually Pereira is Portuguese based and Peterson is Scandinavian because my first ancestor from that side was a horse thief and changed his name to Peterson so that he wouldn't get caught when he got to the colonies so at any rate <laughs> but we've talked about how that's given us a huge advantage and um hopefully uh all all of you listening now have gone and listened to Vindo's episode and i it, it's 
really incredible, wonderful person, like interesting story. But one of the things that he talked about, um, if you haven't, um, go listen to it. But he talks about how when he moved to the U.S. and, or not, let me, I'm sorry. He talks about uh, when he tried to matriculate at uh, Seattle University or when he registered for classes, uh, people couldn't tell what his name was. And he ended up legally, I think, changing his name to Joseph, which is his, his uh, baptized name from, from Catholicism, right? Because uh, he thought this will just make it easier. And he talks about how it sort of felt like losing a part of himself because he was bending over to accommodate people who weren't really willing to try. <laughs> and so there, there's a lot of, I, especially since last, last summer with the George Floyd murders and the protests after, and then with all the rise in Asian hate crimes, uh, a lot of Asian Americans uh, in particular, and like a lot of my friends and uh have, we've begun embracing our Asianness in ways that we can find. And that includes like including our, like a lot of the times uh, Asian Americans will have an Anglo sounding first name and then whatever last name. And then the second name is often considered the so-called, you know, Japanese name. I'm using air quotes, even though I shouldn't. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. <laughs> and so, it for a long time was actually used as a, a code switching method. And so when, for instance, like some of our family friends, like uh, one of my mom's best friends, God rest her soul, her English name uh, was Elaine. And that's what she used when she was working. She was a teacher in Seattle public schools. But when we were around her mom and her aunt and her cousins and around all the old Japanese ladies at uh, bone dance and stuff, she was Reiko. And so like, like, cause that, you know, they might say something to her in Japanese and, or even in speaking in English, they used her, her Japanese name. And there's been sort of this embrace of that. And I, I think it's interesting cause it's, it's, it's a chance to, reclaim a little part of that, but also to establish expectations when uh, encountering another person's identity. So things like, don't just try to take a stab at my name and then go, oh, well, it's too hard. You know, don't make up nicknames for people if you can't say their name. Like, yeah. learn that English phonology is you might have to figure out how to do something a little different with with your mouth like that might happen <laughs> but that was I mean Japanese names in particular I this is really kind of terrible but in 2016 um, both of my grandmothers died both my mom's mom and my dad's mom uh, so my mom, who's the Japanese American parent, uh, when her mom died first, uh, her name was uh, Yoshiko Hanashiro, and so like when she died, and I emailed the prayer team, 
I asked them to not put it into the prayers of the people to be read out loud because I, I didn't want her name to be horrendously mispronounced. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it, it was really awkward because, you know, church and liturgy are huge parts of how I heal from death. But it was, it, it was a little awkward. And so when my other grandmother died, like a couple months later, I, yeah, it was like five months later. It was just, it was, it was a, 2016 was just an all around dreadful year, as we all know. Anyway, (laughs) when my other grandmother passed away, I decided also not to have her name read out loud because I thought I don't want to have the white grandmother's name read because, you know, so-called it's easier to say than the other one and it was just uh, <laughs> that really that's is. kind of terrible i mean i know that's it that was kind of that's kind of odd. i mean you know you know this michael but for the rest of you that's kind of a difficult story for me to tell yeah. because it you know not because it was hard for me quite as much as i like i don't want to make anybody feel bad but this is why we're doing the representation episode in hopes that we can encourage you to look for resources, you know, learn something new. (laughs) Especially if you're willing to go through the trouble of pronouncing all of the Assyrian names for the old scripture. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in the same way that there are resources for those names, which we're encouraged to seek out, there are resources for non Anglo-Saxon names, as much of a mouthful as that is to say, mm-hmm. to uh, to learn how to say somebody's name properly, and even if it's as simple as uh, honestly just googling it or asking somebody who you would trust and you have mm-hmm. a good relationship to go up and say, "Hey, I have. Uh, could you help me with this? I had to read this name out in church. I don't want to get it wrong. Could you help me with it?" I mean. That is a thousand times better than butchering it at the ambo and then saying, well, I didn't know what else to say. Yeah. I mean, that's, (laughs) (laughs) it ended up making me sad. (laughs) Well, I mean, thank you for sharing that. It is a good story to tell. It it is. I know. Yeah. No, I I don't know how how that feels. It was, it was difficult to bring it up. I I appreciate that you did that. Oh, thank you. No, no, no. Again, it's not so much the, it's hard for me not to go, why can't any of you try? <laughs> <laughs> that That's the, that's the, like, <laughs> but, but yeah. no, I'm, I'm, yeah. no I, I think, I think we're ready to hear that story as a community now. So, it's, yeah, I mean, given all that we've talked about, I mean, not just you and I, all that this community has talked about in the last mm-hmm. couple of years and beyond that even if, if they're yeah. not ready to hear it now they'll never be ready and this i mean i, I mean honestly i think is, that's a good tagline for this whole for series Kara, right <laughs> when will you be ready for this if not now but <laughs> anyway off the rails as usual right but well, to put it back on the rails i want to quote something that Kara sent me this is uh oh. this <laughs> this is the, an a the quote. soccer yeah. yeah exactly a quote from a scottish footballer 
oh, sorry, a Scottish soccer commentator and presenter. The topic in the publication where this was published is on the question of the issue, I should say, of commentators doing a better job to pronounce the names of soccer players, especially when these soccer players are not from traditionally English-speaking countries. And this particular commentator, he's Scottish, he commentates games, he has a television presence as well. He says, I don't think the issue is specifically an English problem, but a scourge for all English-speaking countries. This is an Anglo thing. If somebody's first name is English, whether they're in the UK, the US, or Australia, there seems to be a God-given right to say a name in whatever way is easiest for a person to say. I'm just amazed at how he hit that on the head. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's just sort of become common now, but I, I mean, a lot of the times you read about colonizers hitting the shores and encountering indigenous folks and either being like, okay, well, you're baptized now, so your name is Mary and your name is like Thomas or something, <laughs> you know, or I can't say your name, so your name is Mary and your name is Thomas, <laughs> you know, or just, you know, giving another name or again, for like enslaved, enslaved people who were brought you know, in boats over to to the West Indies and the North American continent. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. they all had names when they left the shores of West Africa. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they were just like, okay, your name's Kevin Smith now. You know, or I mean, like that's why it was called a Christian insert last name. name of enslaver, you know, and which, mm. like, oh man, I, like, how. How de- how degrading to end up having to retain an enslaver's name. Yeah. How degrading. Oh my goodness. Anyway. I do like, I love that quote from uh, Derek Ray. Uh, yes, with his, because uh, in particular, he was talking about a, a Portuguese uh, soccer player named Bruno Fernandes. I, I, I can't do Portuguese, I'm sorry. But the Castilian Spanish pronunciation is, you know, Fernandez. And like in Portuguese, it's it's different. The ending is a little bit different, even though it's spelled very similarly. Mm-hmm. And earlier in that article, he talks about, for that player in particular, people would be like, why don't you say their name right? And he was like, he's Portuguese, this is right. <laughs> you know? and, and so after we were talking about this article, we realized that, you know, the lack of rep, like correct representation is what often leads to appropriation. And so, cause again, often you get, I can't say your name. So your name is, you know, bing bong or, or something, you know, and it often empowers people to guess since quote there's nothing telling me otherwise and I'm, I'm looking at the google doc that we read from for this and what I was thinking when I read that is that if there's nothing telling me otherwise actually means I haven't seen anything otherwise so it must not be true yeah 
And so that went back to the billboard from part one of representation talking about, you know, needing to create opportunity. So in that particular case, it was, you know, we need to create opportunities professionally for musicians or for, you know, insert profession here. But it's more, we need to create more opportunities or more space. We need to create space. We need to create room uh, for a more diverse representation. And, you know, that means letting media creators of color create their media or let them represent their media, that sort of thing. I was thinking earlier uh, when we were talking about the 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 dark brown actors that you would see and some of them sometimes would be played by white actors in brown face. I do have a rant about my middle name. For those of you who don't know, my middle name is Keiko. I'm named after my mom's cousin who emigrated to the United States in 10th grade, not speaking any English, and then graduated from high school two years later as the valedictorian. Oh my goodness. And now she runs a restaurant that I've sent Michael Kleinschmidt, uh, Irene Tanabe, Heidi Kim, the Coldwells to in Honolulu, Mr. Oji-san. It's some of the best sashimi I've ever had. Anyway, Auntie Keiko is pretty cool. Um, but often when I would tell people that was my name growing up and it was always, oh, are you named after the whale? Ooh. Because of course, you know, Free Willy was, a... <laughs> and, went, and no, no, I'm a... not named after the whale. And it, you it's know, a lot again, for so many people, their only exposure to the name Keiko was, was a this whale, whale and this poor and not whale another human being caught off Iceland and like. And just, I mean, like, save the whales, everybody. Like, oh my goodness, save the whales and all that. But like, it was just, I mean, when I was young, it didn't really bother me. I didn't think about it too much because I was like, I guess that whale's name is Keiko, huh? <laughs> you know? But when I got older, you know, started learning the intricacies of, you know, some of the intricacies of Japanese naming systems, how Keiko is a, is a, well, it's a more feminine name. I'll say that. I mean, it's it's very gendered society. But Keiko the whale was a male whale. And so it was like, no thought whatsoever was put into this. Yeah, it was, here's a name that looks cool. Let's slap it on this whale. And then, you know, 20 years later, Kara had to deal with it in first grade. Anyway, no, I was not named after the whale. Thank you for letting me get off my chest on this podcast. Sometimes these things are the emotional release we need. So <laughs> I, I'm happy. I'm happy we could be here for I, you. Uh, thank you. I, I so appreciate it. But that's uh, well, anyway, I mean, that, but like, I mean, yes, as, as you mentioned earlier, the only exposure to the name Keiko or any really sort of Japanese sounding name that you might be able to be like, oh, Keiko is a a Japanese and you know, or Asian or whatever name. It's just mm. like, oh, it's a whale. <laughs> and no. yeah, not, maybe not even Japanese. It's Asian or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I just. <laughs> uh, but 
the good news is yeah with, there is good news <laughs> there is good news and it's that we're learning and now that there are more channels for people to speak up and stand up for themselves it's easier to you know set that standard right up front of i'm not going to let you say my name wrong because you're being lazy mm-hmm. um by the way same goes for pronouns for trans and non-binary folks please just do your best to give some basic respect that's it on that person's terms too yeah well exactly exactly well, on the topic of good news, we do want to say that a few weeks ago at St. Mark's, during the prayers of the people, we noticed a couple of names which had been written with the appropriate script and which were phonetically spelled out as well, which mm-hmm. I think covers both bases. You are honoring the person's name, but at the same time, you are making it accessible yeah. for the person doing the reading if they've never seen those mm-hmm. names before and in fairness to those people doing the reading the prayers they only see them half an hour before the service starts mm-hmm. uh, or even less so it's not they came on time if they come on time and that's my plug <laughs> as a soundboard person to remind people please be there at least 20 minutes ahead of time Thank you. Moving on. But that's what you get when you get there a little bit early and you can be relatively assured that, okay, the names are prop, uh, the names are phonetically uh, written out. So I'm not going to have to fumble and stumble my way through them. And all credit to Eric Donner and mm-hmm. everybody else who would have assisted him in this to have the correct script. Uh, I can imagine that for at some point in time when we do have a person of that particular ethnic background at the Amble, reading those names out, if they see the names from their ethnic background properly represented, I imagine that would be a good feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Read the prayers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, to make sure that it sounded like it was read with care so and if yeah if there's the correct script right there and you know some assistance for someone who can't necessarily read it all the best yeah that's win-win that is a best case scenario yeah absolutely and actually i was going to say shout out to greg block for setting that precedent for our service leaflets um i know michael uh s does them now but uh I know that Greg really has taken care for composers' names. And and I right. know my favorite was when we sang something by Rachmaninoff. You know, we sing it in church Slavonic. And so Greg had the English translation, mm-hmm. the Cyrillic, and the Cyrillic transliteration, like all in three columns. I, I, it I was remember all that. there. It was, it was all there. And I was like, this, I mean, I'm... I'm like a graph nerd, so I like that kind of thing anyway. <laughs> but like again, now thinking about it kind of within this frame, like that's really nice. Just in case there was someone in the congregation who can read Russian and you know, if Freddie Coleman was downstairs that day, he can, for instance. <laughs> or, you know, or uh, who's Freddie Coleman is the, I don't know, he sang in the cathedral choir for a while. But anyway, but it was like 
yeah, it's a nice, exactly what you said. It's a nice precedent. It's a little bit of extra work, but it's a nice way to be like, here's a, here's how we're trying. If we can go to that extent for Russian composers, we can go that far for Vietnamese people, for Japanese people, for Chinese people, for Korean people, for Thai people, whatever, you know, for Indian people, for Sri Lankan people, our ability to pronounce difficult names should not end with Russian names. No. (laughs) Especially these are are Russian philosophers or Russian authors or Russian church musicians, Russian music components, whatever. And all of, I mean, yeah, you know, we've had this conversation before and it does bug me when people say, well, you know, how are you supposed to pronounce this name? Sure. You can say Tchaikovsky without blinking an eye. Yeah. It's like, I mean, a hundred years ago, that was a great question. Today, the answer is Google. Yes, At the supercomputer that you carry around time, with you all the time. Your your smart toaster, if you program it correctly, could also give you this answer. <laughs> it has the tips to do it, but yeah, like it, 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 it is absolutely free to make a small effort. If it costs you time, I think it's worth that time to get somebody's name right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's. Again, this is the other thing that I've, I've, I think I've told you is that when people say Kara wrong, you know, they might say Kara or sometimes I've been called Clara or Cora, which whatever, like that never bothers me. But if people say Keiko wrong, that bothers me so much more. And I'm not really sure why, but like... <laughs> I think it has to do with the, usually if they're saying Kara wrong, it's because there are other ways to say C-A-R-A. I think I, when you and I first met, I called you Kara, but that's because I'm used to hearing the British pronunciation. Well, exactly. Like, and of course there's like Cara Clara and Clara. Yeah, well, exactly. yeah. Yeah, same thing. And so that's probably it. But usually it's, I mean, again, Something else to think about. So, because I'm, I don't know you know, if I told you, but I have, um, I think when I was back in Massachusetts, I had somebody ask me if Michael was my real name. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> this was, uh, okay, so I do remember that guy. <laughs> there was somebody else in Massachusetts who honestly thought I was black because he had never seen a a person of a darker skin color who wasn't black. Huh. That... I felt pissed off with the first one. Yeah. The second one, I was just too confused to really feel anything. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, especially since, you know, you, you grew up where everyone was as dark as you were darker. <laughs> like... Yeah, all just, you're all just shades of brown. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But I, I, I do know, I mean, I've gotten that question once, is your name really Michael? Uh, I do kn- have other friends of color who have gotten that many, many more times. I mean, obviously for their own name. And yes, yeah. their own name is their own name. And in many cases, uh, they come from Catholic families, I guess, where again, there's a baptismal mm. name, yeah. which is usually um, an Anglo-Saxon or just you know, to put it another way, a white name. Mm-hmm. But 
some people um, either make the assumption with hostility that that is not their real name or with incredibly misguided friendliness. Yeah. Wonder if that's their real name. Yeah, no, I mean, nobody goes up to Daniel Craig and asks him if Daniel is his real name. Right, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it might be a stage name. I don't know. <laughs> I just pulled that I, name out of nowhere. No, but but but, but nobody the would. Same point though. Or actually, let's use this one. Nobody would walk up to Dean Steve and say, "Is Steve your real name?" I did think Dean was actually his name for a bit, but yeah. Okay, that's that's fair though. That's fair. But yeah, <laughs> I yeah. had to clear that up with my parents for a long time. I think I was like. Because I just I kept saying Dean because like I didn't want to keep saying head priest. They're they're not they're not Christian, which is, is absolutely fine. But I was like, do I use the correct name or do I just say head? Like so I was like, oh yeah. I also it's the same. But no. But the, the thing is like I'm unless he's led some really interesting secret life that we know nothing about. It's unlikely that anybody has walked up to Steve Thomason and said. Is your name really Steve? Like and Kara, you also used the example. I think when we first started doing this podcast, nobody would go up to Dean Thomason and say, You're so articulate or you're so well spoken. Yeah. Sorry, Steve. This is not a this is not an attack on you at all. Oh, at all. This is this is this is our your the, the comparison of like how how ludicrous it is that people of color have to deal with these sorts of shenanigans i guess to put it nicely <laughs> and because so. historically there was just no representation of people of color you if you saw a, an asian person in some form of entertainment they would have a very traditionally asian south asian name which of course there are literally billions of people who have that but yeah. you wouldn't have met a man of a darker skin tone named michael like what <laughs> Oh jeez! Oh no! That oh no! <laughs> no no no! <laughs> that is oh jeez! That's so. When I was living in Dubai, we had heard through family friends that some Arab folks who they had knew moved to the U.S. And those folks, those Arab folks, had taken on English-sounding American names because they were afraid of anti-Arab backlash after the September 11 attacks. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, it's not without precedent that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. people of color would change their name. Obviously, it's still for a horrible reason. Yeah. Uh, and you still should not assume that a person of color has, a, uh, has adopted an American-sounding name. If, mm -hmm. however, they, I mean, you know, you wouldn't, well, hopefully most people wouldn't think of going up to a trans person and asking, is this your real gender? Is this your real identity? Which, I mean, to be fair, God knows, still happens. So, yeah. <laughs> so maybe not the best well, example, but close enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly it's, it, it's about as inappropriate. We, you know, I oh, y'all, this this was an exhausting episode to record. You know, yeah, uh, just it, it's a lot to cover. 
it it hurts not seeing yourself in in places. Nobody's gonna say that simply having people of color in visible roles will solve everything, but God knows nobody's going to assume that you were named after a whale. Yeah. Nobody's going to assume that my name isn't what I say it is. Uh-huh. Or that this yeah. isn't how I sound. Right. I mean, and it helps normalize different perspectives. So, And different people who don't fit into the few categories you might have been exposed to before you actually met these people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, this has not been an easy one to do, but... We knew that we would have to cross bridges like these sooner or later. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, the sooner, the better, I think, if we really want to make this podcast worth all the work that we've put into it and deserving of all the attention and the uh, appraisal that it's got, at some point in time, there are a few band-aids that we need to pull off. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. And also save the whales. Save the save whales. Save the whales. Yep. Trans people are trans people. Trans people are trans people. And my name is Michael and your middle name is Keiko. Yes. And I'm not named after a whale. Good. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Hashtag not named after a whale. Hashtag not named after a whale. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you for joining us on this very chaotic two-part series on representation but now you know why it's important to us and yeah why it's kind of difficult to quantify um after listening to us to i mean basically rambling for two full hours so (laughs) and i do want to say there was a part of me that was always thinking how can we relate this back to the cathedral how can we make this relevant to the cathedral and certainly parts of it were when we talked Mm -hmm. about the names but these are things that the people of color at the cathedral experience on a day-to-day basis when they turn the TV on or when they're out with their friends or if they go to a show or whatever. And even if that doesn't take place at the cathedral, it's still a part of their lives. I know it's a part of my life. It's a part of Kara's life. And we do bring that to the cathedral when we come with our prayers and with our burdens. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that we unload. So yeah. it is very relevant, I think. Yeah, yeah. but we wouldn't be saying all of this to our listeners if we didn't know that you'd come away with something all right we've talked a lot about representation in entertainment and fiction but the issue of representation in real life is important too this recording a college classmate of mine uh, named el cho or lauren cho uh, has been missing for just over three months And a few days ago, actually the day after we recorded the earlier part of this episode, uh, remains were found not far from where she was last seen. And while they've not been positively identified yet, they're they're thought to be hers. And that's been very traumatic for um, not just me, but more for people who are closer to her and her family, of course. Um, Three months is a long time. Uh, many family and friends wait longer than that uh, to find out what's happened to loved ones and up to the rest of their lives. Uh, I can only imagine that when families of color who have waited for months or years see their main news sources filled with the faces of white women 
poor people, but usually women who've been missing for 72 hours or less must feel so much attention poured on them because they're white, essentially. And uh, at a 2004 convocation uh, for Unity, which is an organization for journalists of color, uh, PBS icon, uh, news anchor and hero, Quinn Eiffel, uh, said in the speech, I call it missing white women syndrome. If there's a white woman, you're going to cover that every day. And there's a lot of weight to that statement. And it's not meant to infer that missing white women don't matter, because that's not the case, obviously but rather an observation of disproportionate public concern. Washington state actually has the second highest rate, for instance, of murdered or missing indigenous women in the country. And that's something I didn't know until I was looking stuff up for the segment on the record. And there's also no official comprehensive database for missing indigenous women in our state. Uh, the public at large cares very little because we don't see anything about it. And it's a very small slice, of course. This also doesn't mean that we don't care about any of it. There's a lot going on. But our attention is continually drawn away from an ongoing problem when there's widespread national coverage when a white woman is missing. And I mean, there's a lot of factors at play, but one of the only good ways to really break this is, well, by better representation overall. Like, <laughs> that that's what it is. Um, and I'm not just talking about who's in our TikToks and our YouTubes and that sort of thing, although those, of course, are really important too. Oh, there goes my cat. How exciting. But in educational settings, in professional settings, and where we choose to put our public effort, um, always, I, it, it needs a lot of re-examining to make sure that everyone feels equitable and safe. Uh, it's too reductive to say that the lack of representation in media uh, at large uh, leads to all of these women of color being killed or, or missing or whatever, but white stories and white figures being prioritized plays a role in other people and their stories being ignored to the point of invisibility. That was a difficult way to end the episode, but uh, there are some links to some organizations that I found when looking up some things for the segment. And those will be in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening over and on the cathedral's website with the listing for the podcast.